song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. That's David Gibb. And this is a mini-sode version of How Wrestling Explains the World. Very, very exciting, Dave. Oh, yeah. I've never been so excited about something so small. <laughs> We're going to be talking about uh, Bash at the Beach this week as our first, like, I don't know what to call it yet, but it's kind of like a pantheon or not a pantheon, uh, some sort of compendium of great uh, or important in the case of Bash at the Beach 1996 uh, shows, people, gimmicks, gimmick types, match types, just whatever individualized thing we can kind of spend some time talking about. We'll be doing going forward, but these episodes will always be much shorter than the main episodes. Uh, and uh, for, um, you know, posterity purposes. Uh, we actually want to do some corrections from the previous episode. Uh, I missed a couple of things because we do research for these shows, but uh, these are pretty extemporaneous things, right, Dave? Like we, we try to pull what we can and try to research what we can, but sometimes we make minor mistakes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I definitely make uh, many mistakes in every facet of life. And, and I should add that when Nick says we do research, he means Nick does research. <laughs> so any mistakes I make are just because I'm here talking out my ass full of shit, whereas his, you know, are failures of his detailed research. Yeah, thanks. You really put a, a finer, a much finer point on it than I was going to. Uh, so there's one correction I noticed uh, from listening back. That is kind of silly, but I did notice it. Uh, the Gila monsters I mentioned were actually Komodo dragons. Uh, so the the fighting giant lizards were Komodo dragons. Uh, so that's to give you an idea of what last week's episode was like. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to correct was, um, and I think it's kind of important to what we're talking about actually, is um, I made a point last week about the way that the shows were structured for the second planet earth and i mentioned that uh there's a big fight with a water buffalo and some lions in one of the episodes and i thought it was the jungle episode and it turns out it's the grassland episode but i was right and this is why i bring it up uh about the placement because i thought that was really important i was happy that i only screwed up the the name of the episode and the location, not the actual order, because I think what we talked about was important last week. And I think it's something that happens in this uh, show we're going to talk about, which is Bash of the Beach 96, which for those who don't know, ends with maybe the most important turn in the history of wrestling. Uh, right, Dave? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You know, Hulk Hogan uh, really since he, as a, as I think it's Dave Meltzer always says, after he turned face by accident, <laughs> he became, you know, the biggest baby face pretty much of all time. And it there were there was a whole decade where it was incomprehensible to think that Hulk Hogan would ever become a bad guy, both from a, a genre viewpoint in that so much of wrestling was Hulk Hogan, and also in a business standpoint that it just didn't seem like it would make any sense to uh, turn Hulk Hogan against the fans. So yeah, definitely the uh, biggest and most important and most shocking, if not in its timing. No, I think uh, its timing was important, and I think that it's also one of those things where it should have happened a really, 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 really long time ago. But what what changed was he had always been working for the fans, and and I think that's kind of the idea of what a babyface is supposed to be. And uh, what happened with Hogan is that he decided just full stop, I don't want to do this anymore. Like that, well, at least the character did. He became, he literally went from Hollywood, 
uh, sorry, from Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Like he changed his character. But and I think this is an interesting thing about the show. Um, and we played this clip and I'm going to drop it in again um, of Bobby Heenan kind of knowing that he's going to turn on WCW uh, at the end of the show in the big match that they have. And uh, the big match is the main event, which is uh, the Outsiders, which at the time were Scott, are Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who were supposedly invading from WWF. Uh, and they were facing off team against t- Team WCW, which was Luger, Sting, and Macho Man. And there was a third man that was supposed to come out uh, for the Outsiders to even the odds. Uh, and it turns out to be Hogan. And what he and him says is, Yeah, but whose side is he on? Uh, which is maybe the most famous call in the history of wrestling. I think I think it's fair. It's pretty high up there. Yeah, it's up there with, you know, uh, the Jim Ross, uh, the Tyson call, or the Stone Cold call. It's definitely up there in the uh, top five, especially those two, you know, in the know. If you could name a famous moment from wrestling commentary history, what would it be? A lot of people would say, but whose side is he on? Uh, the thing with Hogan in this instance is that you kind of get a weird feeling when he comes out, and it's because there's so much building up in the show so like uh throughout the show uh which i'm just gonna go over the card real quick so we get an idea of how weird wcw was at the time in terms of their roster on top of having like an hour-long show before which involves like a jim powers and hugh morris match and also an Eddie Guerrero and Lord Stephen Regal match. Uh, the card starts starts off with a Rey Mysterio and Psychosis match, which is awesome. It's one of the best cards of the year, uh, one of the best matches of the year in America that year. Do you remember the first time you saw that? Like you were like, "Holy shit!" Like especially Rey Mysterio and Psychosis because they had such good chemistry. I mean, they were kind of they're two guys who were really just like born to wrestle each other. You know, uh, Psychosis is like kind of like tall and thin but he can pick up Mysterio in, in ways that are really, really impressive. And Psychosis really is a guy who kind of really blended, you know, the high-flying stuff. But when he was wrestling other cruiserweights, he kind of took on that powerhouse role in the way that you see, like, uh, kind of like a Brian Cage today is, like, an example of a guy who does that, you know, where he's a, a smaller, high-flying guy, but when he's in there with even smaller guys, he can do some really cool heavyweight stuff, which also sets up the other guy, you know, to do some really cool counters out of it. So yeah, they're just a perfect marriage, a classic matchup. And this was definitely an excellent match here. Uh, To switch it over completely, uh, the Carson City silver dollar match, which was John Tenta, who most people know as Earthquake from WWF versus Big Bubba, who most people know as the Big Boss Man from WWF. Uh, And then after that, you have Diamond Dallas Page versus Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. And we're going to go back through a lot of these. I just did. This is such an insane. The next match after that is a double dog collar match between the nasty boys and public enemy. And then there's just a singles match between Dean Malenko and disco Inferno for the cruiserweight, a Ric Flair Conan match for the U S title, which is crazy that Conan has it. Um, Steve McMichael versus Joe Gomez. And then the main event, uh, sorry, right before the main event, there's another match. This is like a WrestleMania card. Uh, The Giant and the Taskmaster, who is Kevin Sullivan, faced Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. And then, like I said, the main event, which is Kevin Nash and Scott Hall 
which is then interrupted at the end by Hulk Hogan. But like to give you an idea, that is a crazy, crazy mix. It's that's like a mid '90s rap album in terms of the amount of random people on it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when you have both uh, the Public Enemy and Jim Duggan on the same wrestling card, you're definitely in some sort of a, a weird corner of the multiverse, definitely. <laughs> this is a really interesting card to me, both like in terms of uh, where they were with the roster and where they were in just like the overall development of the company. Because here you see like some very 90s stuff, some very kind of current stuff by 1996 era, uh, standards. Like you got, you know, the public enemy. Uh, you've got that those great cruiserweight matches you were talking about before. Um, you know, you've got... Nash and Hall, you know, kind of the definition of, of mid to late 90s WCW. But at the same time, you've still got like Jim Duggan and you've got a dog collar match. So you've got like one foot. With the nasty with boys. The nasty boys, exactly. So you've still got like one foot in that late 80s, early 90s kind of cartoon wrestling. And then you've got another foot in this kind of self aware, postmodern, post ECW kind of wrestling. And, and the result is that as you watch this show, the dated stuff feels so dated. The current stuff is really good, like that opener you were talking about or like the main event, yeah, which is yeah. like a genre-defining classic. But the dated stuff just feels brutal on this card. Yeah, though I think in a way that like they time out the matches decently that, for instance, the Duggan match, which is truly awful, even though Diamond Dallas Page is a is such an I, I don't like to use the term underrated usually but he's such an underrated worker that you get this like they seem to know what they had at the end of the show which is this big like uh, it, to use like a, a song you have a big hit at the end of the show you have this like you know you've written this you've built it because the storyline building to that last match not only is like the underlying theme of the entire Bash at the Beach show in a way that doesn't feel intrusive in the way that it would later on, like, and I think you can attest to this, Dave, NWO became the storyline of every WCW match. Well, it, the problem was it didn't, it didn't. Like it was all, it became all they talked about on TV, which was WCW versus NWO. But then there would still be other matches independent of that main angle going on in the ring. And they would just talk about WCW versus NWO. And that was really when... I think that's when WCW really started to lose sight of the ball, when they started talking about that as if it were the only thing going on. Because the fact of the matter is that it really wasn't, but they, they kind of made it that way by what they chose to focus on. Yeah, they defined the entire industry, basically, of NWO versus WCW, with NWO always winning until WCW kind of wins a little bit. Like, it was such a broken idea, but it's, it's kind of... Um, it's what it's something that happens a lot in wrestling, but this I think it's the best example of using the same like almost like the same kind of hook or the same kind of person to appear on all of your songs. Like uh, uh, you'll see this a lot, like not Rihanna is above this, but like you have Rihanna on a song and it will get you an automatic hit. They kept on being like, well, if we just throw NWO into everything, NWO is going to make everything better. And what you understand watching this show is why they would think that because the reaction at the end of this show to Hogan turning is like, I, 
it breaks wrestling almost. Yeah, 100%. I think a great example, if I can, uh, since you, you said uh, you didn't think Rihanna was a great example, it's T-Pain. It's T-Pain with the auto-tune yes. singing. Like when that was the big hit maker thing for like, two years and then there was the third summer of it and everybody was like oh my god this is so done we don't want to hear this anymore but for those first two summers everything t-pain touched every song he rapped on every song he produced or i shouldn't say rapped but every song he auto-tuned on like uh like he he was the hit maker until he wasn't and that was definitely the case with the nwo as well and i think t-pain's an interesting choice because t-pain's actually really really talented he's an incredibly talented singer but he wanted- and a really smart businessman yeah. obviously and he just wanted to make money singing so he did the autotune shit and he said that basically like no that was what was hot so that's what i did and i think it's a perfect perfect example that you pulled out because like i could not and i think i was thinking t-pain but i didn't want to say it because i love t-pain so much um but no i i think it's really uh, and and i thought another thing that you said was really interesting we were talking about it before is that this is such like a like i guess you would call like a time capsule or it's so emblematic of its time I, I, I don't remember the exact wording you used, but it was it it like it fit perfectly, like you said, in that bridge between it was the quintessential show of 1990s, mid 90s WCW. This is kind of the great embodiment of what they were doing before they did the NWO. And the show literally ends with them kind of because, I mean, I know the NWO angle starts when Scott Hall debuts in his, you know, full denim and body hair outfit and says that, you know who I am, you don't know what I'm doing here, line. Uh, like, that's really when the angle starts. But I would say that this is really, like you said, when the NWO started taking over. Um, like, but, but, but so you have the first nine-tenths of this show sort of is WCW, you know, uh, let's say when Flair comes back, like this is WCW 1993 to 1996, like really, really in a nutshell. And then at the end of the show, it's like, boom, they, they, they completely paradigm shift. It's like they break the mold with, they, they show you the whole show that's done according to Hoyle. And then they like break the mold with a sledgehammer in the last few moments of the show. Yeah. It really is like this deconstruction of what, you were ex- you expect from a wrestling show because there's this and Bruce Pritchard, Pritchard talks about it a lot. Uh, Hogan poses like every show ends with Hogan posing. All of them. It doesn't matter how we get to it. Hogan poses, and this is Hogan posing basically. But it's this like almost sick inversion of the idea that like he thinks he's the one that made Hulkamania, which is just. in the context categorically untrue like well i look one of you kind of alluded to this earlier but i think one of the things that made hulk hogan's heel turn one of the most impactful and memorable of all times is that like hulk hogan double screwed the fans he did because he did the ancient no i broke up with you thing which like everybody hates that's the most heat getting move that everybody's worst ex has has pulled on them regardless of gender or age or whatever you know what i mean so like he, he did the thing where, you know, for the last year or two in WCW, like, he had been flat. They had been having to pump in, you know, fake crowd noise for TV tapings, and he had been getting really bad reactions everywhere and clearly wasn't drawing money the same way. The fans were done with him, but he continued to slug along as, like, red and yellow Hulk Hogan for another couple of years. 
And when he finally turned heel, it was so good because it was the no I broke up with you. Like, you fans didn't stop cheering for me. It's me who hates you. As far as I'm concerned, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. In the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny Come Latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. And that's just like despicable on so many different levels. It's part of what makes it such a great turn that it's it's his denial that the fans have rejected him as a great babyface, and he's claiming, no, 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 I choose to be a great heel. Yeah, and I think uh, the what really sticks when you say like when we were talking about uh, how this is the entire show up until this last match is all mid nineties WCW like stacked on top of each other to me the most like perfect the, the perfect example of that is that the final match i swear to god the final match before the most important match in the history of the company is the giant and kevin sullivan from the dungeon of doom versus arn anderson and chris benoit from the four horsemen it is literally it's a meaningless tag match it's just four dudes fighting for no good reason. Who belong, it, who belong to factions who are nominally important. Uh, in, and on the same side. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Both both aligned against Hulkamania to date. And I think that's almost part of the charm of the ending of the show is like that entire thing is almost written. The show is almost written with the idea that Hogan's going to save day, and then he comes in and he burns everything to the ground. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like the uh yeah, the 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 girl is tied to the uh tied to the 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 whatever inside the burning building. And uh the the hero just like gets there, he runs up, he rides the elevator up to the floor of the building that she's on, he gets out, he sees her there, and he goes, eh, and he gets back in the elevator. <laughs> and you know goes out or yeah, worse yeah, this he, entire he, movie up to the point where he's supposed to save her and you're just like yeah actually i'm good <laughs> yeah exactly or worse yet it's like instead of say instead of saying eh, and getting back in the elevator he he saves her he unties her and then you know pushes her off the roof of the building or or, or leg drops her <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly there we go or gives her a leg drop and i i think that was the other um super interesting thing is like he instantly turns like the second he gets in the ring he leg drops savage and that's it you know it's done who's bad now boys hulk hogan arrived hulk, hulk, hulk. what is he oh doing god is he the third man he's the third man it's it's this weird definitive moment in us in a 
an, an entertainment medium where you do not get those. And I, I, I think that was the other shocking thing is like, there was no faking. There was no, he tried to do the thing where you like punch the other guys and make yourself look good. No, he just walked in and then he leg dropped Randy Savage and WCW at the same time. Right. And he, he leg drops Randy Savage. He legs drops WCW and he leg drops the whole like Hulkamania era of 1980s WWF wrestling. I mean, it really was, I think on, at least on Eric Bischoff's part, like them drop them having Savage be the guy he turns on. I mean, number one, it works because they're established as, you know, longtime friends and allies and stuff. But I think it was also just a symbol of like the, the kind of, like cutesy cartoony fan friendly era of the WWF. And they were saying like, no, that stuff's over. We're killing it dead right here. And like I said, there's, there is that kind of post ECW vibe starting to creep into the, the edges of this show. And I think they say at the end, like we're done with the cutesy, you know, we're done with the cutesy copying WWF stuff that we did throughout the early to mid nineties. And we're moving on to this like edgy, realer, meaner, post ECW product. But what's funny is if you look at the card and the problematic matches on the card in as much as, because I, I think, I, I believe you used the word brutal to describe the Carson City silver dollar match. I, that didn't make me want to throw up in my mouth. And to me, that's the standard I have for a big boss man earthquake match involving a Carson City silver dollar or a stack of silver dollars in a sock. It was a sock, right? And then Jimmy Hart. Yes, so Jimmy Hart, pretty much the end of the match, if I remember correctly, uh, is Jimmy Hart climbing to the top of the pole, which the silver, the sock filled with silver dollars then, and like dropping it down or getting caught by Earthquake. And um, he goes to knock out uh, Big Boss Man. And I believe he gets his head shaved off. That match is a shit show. But it's a shit show because it's a bunch of guys from the Hogan, I guess you would call it acting troupe. In a match, they have no business on a card. They have no business being on. Same thing with Duggan. Same thing with the Nasty Boys. These are all people who are Hogan's guys. And and I used the analogy before of it being feeling like a rap album. And it feels like almost like Puff Daddy wanted to get on the card. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 100%. And then, I mean, on the, on the flip side, you have, like, you have Arn Anderson. Uh, you have Steve McMichael. You have like you have the other click as well. You have the kind of like WCW Ric Flair click in there as well. And like what Steve McMichael doing, you know, having a featured job match. There's something you don't see on pay-per-view anymore. Like what is Steve McMichael doing have a, having a featured job match two thirds of the way down this card? Yeah. And it's what's interesting is um, when you look over the card is there's two good. The Disco Inferno Dean Malenko match is good because it's a Dean Malenko match. And the Rey Mysterio psychosis match is just a great match. Like, it's just, like I said, one of the better matches from that year. But those are the two matches that really don't have any association with either of the major political factions backstage or the actual main storyline, which involves everybody political backstage. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty great little microcosm of like WCW there, which is like the stuff that was really, really good. There were two kinds of things that were really, really good. There were things that they were putting all their energy and focus into, like the main event. And then there were the things that nobody was thinking about that were flying under the radar that were just great because there was talent involved. You know what I mean? Like those were the two kinds of good stuff you got in WCW. Uh, yeah. And I, um, I, I guess we can end on this and we're probably going to, um, depending on the subject matter, 
Uh, so for individual shows, I think what we're going to do is um, how important do you think it is to understanding the history of wrestling to watch this match if you have the WWE Network? Like, don't get the WWE Network for this show. But I personally feel like it's you kind of have to watch it to understand the way the industry works now. Do you agree or do you think you just kind of have to watch the last the last match because i feel like you have to watch the entire show to really get like how things ended up the way that they are now i think that just to have a general understanding of sort of how the main event scene and how the general direction of wrestling changed i think you only really do need to focus on that main event especially that hulk hogan promo um the whole thing where uh, he says like it's something he clearly is coming up with on the fly because the wording isn't perfect. But when he says the line about, you see all this garbage they're throwing in the rings, that represents the fans, brother. It's just like one of the great like heel lines that someone comes up with, you know, in the spur of the moment. Anyway, but, um, but I, I think if you're someone who wants to understand how Crockett turned into WCW and how WCW turned into WCW versus NWO and then went out of business then I think you should look at the whole card and watch the whole thing. But if you just kind of want the general overview of what shaped the direction of the business, you can skip through that main event. You're not missing too much. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, so um, we are not going to be doing the uh, Thinky Wrestling podcast section. Uh, we're going to save those for regular episodes. But um, next week's episode will be, and we should have a guest, uh, though logistically we don't know. We're going to be talking about songwriting. Um and we're probably going to be talking about this pay-per-view, uh, at least kind of in the context of like what makes a good or a bad card. And I think we're also going to be talking about some uh, other classic shows. Uh, and going forward, uh, these will probably be about this length. And um, yeah, that's that's about all I have to say. If you have any comments, concerns, or corrections, uh, at Gas Station TV, uh, that is uh, both Jordan, Jesse, and go and us will be using that for corrections going forward. Um, Dave, do you have any plugs you wanted to make? Uh, not, not especially this time. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Wright's junk and keep your eyes on the wrestling estate for my wrestling related content. Uh, and I am at the Nixter, uh, T H E N one C K S T E R. And uh, I, I did a review of backlash, which was long and a review of raw, which was also long. So if you have like a half an hour to 45 minutes to read, to wrestling about two wrestling shows from a week ago they're there at juicemakesugar.com um Ooh, don't put yourself over too hard my goodness <laughs> listen it's uh it's an acquired taste but it's like a fine wine so i'm just preparing the people um so uh, i unless i don't think we have anything else to say so i guess we will see you next week uh when we all learn about what songwriting and wrestling have to do with each other uh uh, I guess say uh, say goodnight, Dave. Uh, goodnight, Dave. Up again. And he goes sliding all the way to the other side. They haven't used much of the ring. They've just been passing through it a lot. That's right. Here he goes again. From the middle. Oh, he hit his knee. He hit his knee. A twisting acai-style moonsault. Slip your